What's the best part about being out of the NFL, even just for a short period? I can sleep through the night. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever considered working in professional sports? Do you want to know what it really takes to succeed at the highest levels? Or are you just curious as to what life is like behind the NFL curtain? If so, this show is for you. Lauren Lando is a 29-year veteran in the strength and conditioning game and someone I deeply respect. This guy has not only had incredible success over the years, but he continues to learn, evolve, and push our industry forward. In this episode, he's going to give us his unique insights into what he learned over his five-year career working in the NFL for the Denver Broncos. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. As someone that spent five years working in professional soccer, this episode really hit home and reminded me of the pros and cons of working in that environment. In this episode, Lauren and I cover a ton of ground, including the biggest differences he saw between the private and professional sectors, the mistakes he made during his tenure, and what he's learned about both working in pro sports and himself over the last five years. But the thing I love the most about Lauren is his honesty and humility throughout this process. Through it all, he's been open, honest, and reflective, and I think that makes me like him even more. Needless to say, this is an amazing episode with a world-class coach. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Lauren Lando. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you'll join us when the next complete coach certification launches. Lauren, man, thank you so much for coming on the show here. So excited to have you back on and catch up with you. Start by just telling us a little bit about yourself for anybody that's been living under a rock for like the last 15, 20 years. Mike, I appreciate you having me on again. Um, last 15, 20 years, you know, really spent my time in the private sector on the performance side, um, working on everything from NFL combine prep to NFL offseason. And then, uh, you know, working with a, a huge, huge population of mixed martial artists and ultimately all sports uh, that you can think of. We typically have in this building, um, you know, t from the last five years, I've been the head strength and conditioning coach 
uh, for the Denver Broncos, and that came to an end after my fifth season. Uh, and now I'm back transitioning back into the private sector and, uh, you know, just getting ready for that summertime, that summertime <laughs> break now. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love it. So, man, I was looking back. I think the first time I had you on was like 2016. It's been a minute, right? Yeah. I was thinking about the last time you were on the show, the last time we had you out here, right, to speak at our summit. Man, the world is different <laughs> in the last five, six years. But, man, what like what's new? in your neck of the woods like where are you at right now yep so so right now i am legitimately back into the private sector i'm i'm working with a lot of the populations that i had had before going into the nfl i'm working with my nfl players who have yet to find a place to sign right now they're holding out a little bit um in that off-season program uh working with mixed martial artists and honestly really giving back into my coaches here yeah um, there were a number of coaches that were hired while i was gone that I really had never spent time with. So just trying to, you know, spend a little bit more time with them and kind of reestablish our North star, um, you know, a little bit. My coaches did an awesome job of running the ship while I was gone. Um, but now it's time for me to kind of take us to that next destination. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. So as we kind of talked about before the show started, I would love to talk about just the last five years, the career evolution that you've gone through. Cause I think that's fascinating, right? I mean, I couldn't imagine, being 15 years in and then transitioning into, you know, the NFL or into pro sports. So I think that's where I want to start. Like, just talk to us about the biggest differences from being in the private setting where you were for those 15 years versus being in a professional setting. Well, I think you understand this as well. Like there is a grind that comes with the private sector side of things. And, you know, going into the NFL, I had to learn their grind. And, right. You know, I, I really, within that first year, I really got to, a, a real great appreciation for the strength coaches who had come before me and who are currently doing it in the pro sports. I'm like, this comes with a whole different element of pressure, a whole different element of grind private sector. We might go 12 hours straight and just go, but the, the grind in the pro sports is just a different animal. You might not coach, you know, more than a three or four hour block, but the other jobs, the other tasks, all those things, um, were big. So I had a, a whole new appreciation of that, that grind. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause I always prided myself on the ability to coach 12 hours straight, but then to kind of be involved in all the different meetings and all the different things and setup and preparation, uh, it, it was different animals. So for me, I took that first year, Mike, and I just said, I want to engulf myself and embrace the Broncos culture, but the NFL calendar the best I could. Right. Uh, I, I had retained two coaches on from the previous regime who kind of walked me through the deep waters of that first year, which I, I can't tell you how important that was. A lot of times people say, you know, when you're taking over a regime, bring in your own people, which I understand why you would. Right. If I didn't have these two guys kind of helping me through that first year. It would have been a lot. Uh, it would have been a lot more challenging than it needed to be that first year. Hmm. That's really interesting. So, when you take the job, like I'm always, uh, so when I took my like one and only like pro sports gig, right? It was with a local soccer club, right? I could step in. It wasn't a full-time thing, but you go in, you've got like these aspirations and these dreams and like this vision of what it's going to look like, right? So I would love to know really two questions here. Number one, when you took over, what were your primary goals getting started? And then number two, what was your long-term vision, right? So there's like the things you want to get done in the short term and then your long-term goals. So what did those look like for you? Yeah, I think in the short term, um, I think in the short term, really what I want to do is change the culture of that room. Um, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, I think as you go through different regimes, uh, you may have less buy-in over time. And so I paid attention when I went through the interview process of, of the biggest gaps that they seem to have. The biggest gaps they seemed to have was the development of the young players. It was the development of the players who are maybe your second or third tier. And then it was the communication gaps that were happening with all the different departments. Mm. Um, you know, you know, we talk about it all the time being silo based. And when I came yep. in, that was the thing I kept hearing over and over again is that they were really running in silos. So for me on the short term, I want to, live and breathe the NFL and just understand that that yearly calendar. Number two, I wanted to make sure that 
there was uh, this horizontal playing field and that uh, communication had to be on high, especially with the, the big three departments when we look at strength and conditioning, athletic training, and then nutrition. And, and you, we can throw in the psychology portion as well. But sure. Those three, you know, really needed to be um, a, a level playing field of communication. So that was from the beginning was my my primary pursuit. And then I would say like the long-term vision was to keep that on high, but really try to continue aiding in taking us to that next level. Um, you know, I would say in the five years, a lot of things changed in the NFL in a short amount of time. Like um, we were really a proactive organization in some of the things we were doing. And then two or three years in, like everybody started to have directors of performance and started to get these really robust sports science teams. And yep. so we were a little bit behind in that. Those were the things that we were trying to champion and trying to build um, during my time there. Gotcha. Talk to us about that calendar. Like, yeah. I, I mean, granted, I realize this is a loaded question, but like, what does that calendar look like to you as a strength coach? Well, I think going back also, I, there was one point I didn't bring up in that question is you said uh, the previous question and you said, yeah. it leads us into this one. You said, what were the things that you had all these aspirations? I will mm -hmm. say once you're in those four walls, Mike, you really don't know what you don't know. Like on the outside, I always thought I'd implement this. I'd implement yeah. this. Yep. And until you get in those four walls, you really have no idea what you have the time to or the capability or the latitude um, to influence. Right. And so those were some of the things that like, you know, you had these ideas of what you want to do. And then, you know, it comes bleeds into this next question is the calendar is the time. The time is your number one commodity in the NFL. It's your number one thing that you wish you had more of. Yep. When you talk to any coach, you talk to the strength and conditioning coach, you talk to the athletic trainers, you talk to the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, all position coaches, they all wish they have more time. Yep. And so you don't. Yeah. So the calendar works like this, you know, so say from the last game, say you, you're, you're bounced in the regular season, you have typically from the beginning of January all the way through to either the beginning of April or mid-April, it's called your dark period where there's really no contact with the players. You may be able to say, here's a suggested take-home packet. You can do, you don't have to do, but here's a suggestion. You give it to the guys. They may come in and work in your facility, work out in your facility, but you can't really coach them. You can say, here's mm -hmm. my suggestions, but you can't really coach them. So it's kind of this dark period where there's not a lot of activity that you can really influence. Mm -hmm. um, when they come in in April, you know, you're going through your, your off-season program, which this is what I meant about learning the deep waters of the NFL, is you have a two-week phase one, you have a three-week phase two, and you have a three-week phase three that ends with a mandatory veteran minicamp. Right. So you have that time with them, but the way I always looked at it, Mike, is phase one is 100% me. It, it's two yeah. weeks of strength and conditioning and that's yep. it. We get into phase two, and it's about... I would say it's almost 50-50 football, 50-50 strength and conditioning. And then you get into phase three, which is probably 75% football, 25% strength and conditioning. And so what you do is you just have this inverse relationship of, of who has priority of the, uh, of the adaptation. Yeah. So after we get through our weeks of the offseason program, now the players have five weeks off from us goes back to the same dark period rules. Guys can come in and work out in the facility, but I can't really coach them. I can set up cones and I can say, here's what I'd suggest, but ultimately we cannot run anything. That's so wild. I just can't yeah. imagine that, dude. We're gonna take a quick break from this episode to mention our second sponsor, Hawk and Dynamics. If you wanna level up your assessment skills with your athletes, Hawk and Dynamics Force Plates can help you do just that. Whether you're determining physical outputs like jump height or peak velocity, looking at asymmetries between legs, or simply tracking daily readiness, Hawken Dynamic Force Plates are incredibly easy to use and integrate, even if you consider yourself more of a coach than a sports scientist. We're using our Force Plates on an almost daily basis at iFast, and I couldn't be more excited about the results we're getting with our athletes. If you'd like to learn more, please head over to hawkendynamics.com or reach out to Drake directly at drake at hawkendynamics.com. Now, back to this awesome episode with Lauren Lando. Yeah. I couldn't imagine somebody being in my gym and being like, uh, here's what I would do now. You go do it on your own. Enjoy. 
Yeah, you can't you can't work with rest intervals. You can't run a clock. And so for me, it's like the hardest thing that I had to learn was not to, how not to coach. <laughs> right. Like, That's wild. Not? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, those those hours at that time of year, you know, Mike, you're typically in five, five thirty in the morning, you're usually out by about three or four, maybe five. Um, they go on their five week break. You come back to training camp. Now, training camp, it's on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're in probably at five, four thirty. And then you're not going home, depending on who the coach is and and the, the day. But you're usually not going home until about earliest at seven p.m. and latest about ten p.m. Oh my gosh! And you're doing that for a, a pretty long stretch of time. Yeah. Um, and then then you kind of you get through training camp, and once you start getting the preseason games, the schedule starts to normalize a little bit to what the in season model will look like. But in-season model, you know, it's a seven-day-a-week thing. And it, you're looking at, you know, on the short days, a 10-hour day. And on the long days, you're still looking at a 15-plus, depending on, um, you know, who the coach is and which day of the week it is and what you have to get done. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good grind for sure. But uh, I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Of it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. The way you think of the off-season is the same way that I think of it, right? So like the first month that I get with an athlete, I just think of now I'm the show, right? Mm -hmm. For like this one month, it's mostly me and you, right? After that, you're wanting to kick a soccer ball, get shots up, whatever. But that first month, it's me and you, and we hopefully get to set the tone. And then the other piece that's interesting and something I remember our mutual friend, Joe Ken would always say is like, hey man, the most consistent training time I have with an NFL player is during the regular season. Yes. Right. Which is like the worst time yeah. to actually try and create adaptations. Right. They're in a train wreck every week and then we're trying to train them. But yeah, yeah. the guys would always at the end of the year go, oh, my God, I can't believe how strong I got in season. I didn't get <laughs> in season. I'm like, we actually had time. We actually had right. time. When we had consistency. So I completely agree. And Joe and I have laughed about that quite a bit because you know, you look at a, a nine week or a 10 week, 11 week offseason program. It's just, you know. You're just scratching the surface. You get into that right. season and you can get some pretty good work accomplished. Right. Well, and, and here's the other thing too, right? Like, you know, as well as I do, nine to 10 weeks, even if you are not running the session, right? If you're at least kind of like steering them in the right direction, nine or 10 weeks with you is a whole lot different than nine or 10 weeks when they're off on their own doing who knows what. And, and that brings up a great point. People would always ask me, Mike, like, what's some of the more challenging things that you deal with? And I said, honestly, it's the lack of continuity of training that the athlete prescribes in when they're away from us. Mm. You know, for one week, I'm going to be in L.A. I'm going to work with this footwork guy. One week, I'm going to be in Miami. I'm going to work with this footwork guy. Uh. You know, whatever it is, whoever they pick to work with. At the end of the day, like I used to always tell my guys, pick one place and go there. Yeah, so that's great advice. Approach, the shotgun approach of training and training adaptation. I said, yeah, you're getting work in, but you're not training. Getting work and training are two different things. And yeah. uh, usually the outcome is the adaptation. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll come back to that because there's, there's more to be unearthed there. Uh, one thing I think people need to hear, because I'm sure there are people listening to this that are like, oh, no, whatever. I could do a 14-hour day. I could do a 15-hour day. Give me an idea of, it could be off season, in season, whatever you want to share with us. Sure. Give us an idea of what an average day looks like. So if you're pulling up to the facility at 4.30, yeah. what are you doing that day? Yeah, usually when I get in, if it's at 4.30 or 5, you know, the number one thing I'm trying to do is just kind of get my, get everything situated on the front end, um, organized all the training programs, communicating with my coaches about what's going to go down for the day. Um, you know, this last regime that we had in, you know, the coaches, they want to do a, a 545 workout or a 530 workout every day. So we would bring them in, take them through, you know, a 35, 40 minute uh, quick hit style type workout yeah. and get them out. But usually right after that, we would have a team meeting, you usually go to a team meeting at, at seven in the morning. If I'm giving you like a, a training camp or in season, it might be seven, yeah. it might be 8 a.m. You go to your team meeting after team meeting, uh, you may have... Uh, uh, an optional lift time for the guys. So for us in training camp this past year is we would see one side of the ball um, while the other side of the ball was meeting. We mm. take them through a, a workout activation, a warm up sequence for about 45 minutes. 
and then we'd send them to meetings. The other group would come out, and they the defense would then come to us for a workout. And right after that, we're getting them on the field for practice. So um, right after that, you run from off the field. You maybe a window to get some food, and maybe uh, you'll get taped up. But then they're coming out to the field, and we're taking them through the pre-practice stretch. Uh, that might be nine, ten o'clock in the morning. Usually about ten o'clock in the morning, pre-practice stretch for training camp. Uh, about ten minutes after that. I'll take any guys who are on the return to play side of things and say they're getting pretty close. I'll take them onto an alternate field and I'll do their yeah. own field conditioning or mechanics. Um, some of their metabolic specific to gameplay. We might um, mimic some of the indie period as the guys are getting closer to being back on the field. And after that, then I'm usually going back into the weight room. So I'm maybe on the field for about an hour while practice is happening. I'll go back in the weight room and take the select guys in that, there might be guys who are finishing up the field work who need to be in the weight room or there are guys who are maybe just off of a bigger injury that all they can do is work in the weight room. So we're going in there. That's about another 45 minutes to an hour of work. I'm trying to then get back out to the field, helping my coaches collect all the catapults out of the jerseys. Which right. Yeah. Yeah. Catapults out of 90 jerseys. Um, it's usually pretty challenging. So you get those catapults collected and then you just start running reports post-practice once we get into the, the back half of the day, everything is like running reports of some sort, whether it was different movement screens we did for that day, some of their force plate numbers, or even the catapult um, uh, GPS all the catapult, data, all the GPS reports that we're getting. Uh, you know, now we're sitting there, we're combing through them and saying, okay, who had big practice loads today? Who are our, our red flags leading into tomorrow's practice? Um, and then coming up with our bullet points. You know, I, I never believed in like, too many bullet points. I want to sit there and say, these guys are hot. These guys are hot. These guys had a great practice, never making my reports always negative. Uh, <laughs> and then being able to go out and sit down with the coaches, going through all those reports. And then, you know, after that, after taking out the reports, we're usually setting up the weight room for the next day. After that, we usually have a back end team meeting. And then we usually have a coaches meeting at the end of that with all the football staff and myself. So that, that day, when I tell you it's 15-plus hours, it's 15, but there's no sitting around. It is go, no. go, go. It's on from the second you walk in the door. I joked with my wife that I have to get to work at 4.30 to even get a hint of a workout in. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just thinking about all the skill sets, right? Now, keep in mind, you'd been in the game 15-plus years when you take this position, right? But sure. think about all the skill sets you just listed, right? You are coaching speed, programming metabolic work, running people through regular workouts, collecting and, uh, you know, doing stuff with sports science data, right? Like, I don't know if I said return to play, but like, oh my gosh, dude, like how many different skill sets are you using in one given day? It's not like you just go in the gym and, hey, man, let's go do a four by five on bench press. Yeah, and I think that brings up a good point. You know, Steve Plisk, who is one of the forefathers fathers in our field, yes. he used to always say, to be a better specialist, you need to be a better generalist. And that is yep. the only way you can actually run all those different aspects of a day is if you understand those general subjects really well. And yep. uh, I think sometimes some of our coaches get so dogmatic into their one thing that to me, I know a lot of coaches who are very anti-technology and I'm not going to learn that stuff. I don't need to learn that stuff. I said, well, you know what? You better know it Yeah. because your general manager is going to want to hear it and understand it. Uh, a director of performance, athletes, the athletic training staff, you're all going to have to disseminate that information and communicate and come up with the best uh, plan of action for your players. So, you know, you can't be so narrowly focused. You have to have a broad breadth of understanding. Yeah. Man, I would go a step further, like, because I know a lot of people that have gone that same, like, oh, I'm not going to worry about technology, whatever. I used to think, like, 10 years, you'd be obsolete. I really think if you're not up on this in five years, you're obsolete. You can't because the, job. the rate that it's moving at. Yeah. You, you can hate it. You can do all these things. And guess what? You don't have to be the implementator of it, but you have to be able to understand and have the conversations on it. Yes. And, and I'm a firm believer that you have to, whether you, however you feel about it, you have to be able to be educated well enough to be able to have high level conversations on it. Yeah. Well, and here's the other cool thing, at least for me, is 
I find that like the best coaches intuitively see a lot of the same things. Now it just gives you objective feedback to say, hey, what you're seeing, no, I see it here too. And now I can show it to this athlete or this coach on a graph. And now it, it gives more credence to what I've been telling you all along. Yeah, and I and that's another thing too, Mike. Like I used to always tell our coaches, any time I'd hand out reports, I'm like, "Look, there's a technical and a tactical component to this thing that you understand way better than me. Mm-hmm. Here's a physiological piece that I know quite a bit of." I said, "However, I do understand. Like if things aren't clicking technically and tactically, we're going to have to put the physiological to the side because right. the timing, the sequencing, the the the." The, the competency of offensively or defensive side of the ball is a priority because if we don't have yes. that in check, put everything else, you know, everything it's not going to matter. Yeah. It's not so. going to matter. Okay. I'm interested to hear your answer on this next one. So obviously uh, I think you and I are very similar in our mindset and our approach to what we do. Uh, I think that's why we get along so well, but obviously you go into a new situation. You want to be prepared, Right. Even though you've never been there, I'm sure you're like checking all the boxes and you're thinking of all the potential outcomes. Was there anything that caught you off guard or was somewhat unexpected when you got into that environment? Yeah, I would say there was a couple things. I'd say, number one, it, it was really the awareness of how little time you have with the guys. Like I mentioned earlier, like that was a big shock, whether it was the actual time I had within the calendar year or a time in the day. In season, you might get a 35-minute window, 40-minute window twice a week, uh, yeah. depending on who the coach is. And, um, so th- those were things that were very shocking to me. Number two, um, I would say, you know, and Joe Ken was the one. He goes, LL. When they, <laughs> when they hey, doggy. Hey, yeah, doggy. When they come to you in the private sector, you're working with the guys who want to be there. Yeah. Paying their hard-earned money to be coached. He goes, you get into the NFL, brother, there's going to be guys that are looking at the clock, looking at the thing, saying, how can I get out of this? Or, you know, they maybe aren't the hardest workers or they're, they're, you know, they just want to get through the day or through the session. And he goes, that's, you know, how are you going to deal with that? And so, you know, I will say this, we had a pretty good room um, all my five years where we had a lot of good workers, but you always have a couple guys who are pushing the, the, the envelope on the other side of things. So I'd say oh, that's yeah. another thing that was like pretty shocking to me. And then I would say, you know, this is something we all dealt with, but when COVID hit, like all the different hoops now that you had to jump through and every week protocols were changing. So yep. when I look at the things that were the biggest shock to me. It was one, we all dealt with that, but um, with the, the undulations and the changes of protocols and okay, now, you know, here's, here's our recommendations for this. You know, you got 10 guys in the 10,000 square foot weight room now. And so, you know, and you're worried about social contact. So I think those were the things that really were unique to me. The other the other thing, too, Mike, is I had I I essentially had four head coaches in five years. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so with every head coach, like there's a different not necessarily a theme, but there's a different schedule. There's a yes. different priority. There's a different, there's just a different in, in the culture. And so I think every year you're trying to relearn, you know, you're trying to relearn that you're never really getting your feet solidly planted. And so those were some things that were challenging, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I hold responsibility for my room and the standards and the, and the, the standards and the, the qualities that we deem to be important um, from the principles that, that we we really championed in our room. And in most cases it, it just mirrored what the coach did. But I will say from schedule standpoint and priority standpoint, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was always a, another year of relearning. Yeah. Two great points here. Number one, I was with the Indy 11 for five years, same thing four coaches, five years. And so, you know, cause it's a, it's a similar weekly rhythm, right? Like generally one game a week, you kind of plan the, the week around the, the game schedule and yeah, so one week or one year, it's, hey, we're heavy lift Tuesday, body weight Thursday. The next year, it's, no, Tuesday, Thursday, full lifts. The next year, no, we don't like Tuesday, Thursday. It's just Wednesday. Like every year, you're reinventing the wheel and trying to figure out the best way to do things. Yeah, agreed. And, and it's challenged to, it's a challenge to kind of find that rhythm. Uh, you know, I think a, a sum of all the five years, we probably hit a pretty good sweet spot in a couple. But those, those were definitely the challenges for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing you mentioned that 
if somebody's watching this live, they probably <laughs> saw me laughing, but you're talking about being in the private sector, right? And you know the athletes and the caliber of athletes you've had in your gym, right? And you could show them the jerseys. People would come into my gym, right? And so, I mean, I was lucky. I got started with like MLS All-Stars and like Defensive Players of the Year. So those jerseys are on the walls and these soccer guys came in. It's a division below and they want nothing to do with me, right? Because I'm their coach, right? So I got the guy that's in the other side doing an ab circuit for 30 minutes instead of doing real training. I'm like, hey, all these guys on the wall, they're really good. They did what I asked them and you're doing an ab circuit, man. Yeah, it's really funny, right? It, it, that is some of the truth of this facility, of the of the industry. I think I heard Dan Paff say, you can never be a guru in your own area, Code. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Okay, this is kind of, I think there's probably more to this, but we talked about challenges, right? What are some of the challenges working at the NFL level that you might not see in a private or even a college setting? I would say um, the challenges, you know, there, there's some, there, it's a pros and cons because some, some of the challenges are the communication gaps that can happen in, in, you know, when the, when you're at full tilt and you're really, really moving fast and you're doing your best to debrief every day, there might be some communication gaps. I will say this, like, you know, I, I was the end all be all decision maker in the private sector and, and I would create my networking and my resources. And so um, I would say, you know, if, if something were to fall through the cracks, it's on me. Right. Well, it's sometimes in those bigger projects and those bigger team settings, like there might be things that fall through the gaps. And sometimes it's like, a, it's like doing a group project. You know, sometimes somebody's just not upholding their end of the weight. And those are the things that I think are a little frustrating. Sure. Um, the other thing I, I would say that probably a majority of the teams probably struggle with this at different times, but it's like, how do you take the data that we collect or the information we collect, whether it's, you know, whether it is truly practice data or it's readiness surveys or it's your jump metrics and how do you make those numbers that we deem important how do you make them actionable to you know yes. change a practice theme for the day or or maybe pull a guy out of a practice or you know how do you that that's the challenging thing and i'll i'll say this too mike is it goes back to the technical and tactical preparation number one but number two say i i say you know what this running back has had a lot of workload. We need to pull him back. Well, what you just did, if the coach doesn't change the practice script, is you just dumped all his workload onto the other backs. Yeah. So there, there's what I, I would always call it collateral load. Like if I'm going to, if I feel that I, that it's important to bring this guy down in practice work or intensity, um, I have to understand there's a collateral load that everybody else is going to have to absorb with that. I like that a lot. That's a that's a cool way to think about it, right? Well, it's a cool way to think about it. And it's very realistic. So, so say you have a, a practice week and you have a, a player. It, it say it's in your wide receiver room and you have a player have a, a hamstring. Okay, so not only if he's a starter, um, it's problematic. But if he's a special teams player, now now you've got to fill that hole. But now everybody in that room has got to absorb what he's not doing now, whether it's in practice on team reps and or in special teams. And right. that collateral load is a big deal. It's a big deal. And so yeah. what you'll see with teams is if you have a player go down for any amount of time, you'll see them quickly on the back end or the front end of the next week is bring in a player to be able to start practicing right away. Because right. that practice load, and you'll see it in the NFL quite often where you'll see just position groups start to just get snake bit. And oh, yeah. Usually that collateral load that everybody catches up to, um, that, that catches up to everybody at some point in time. You, you usually see a run of different injuries um, from a position group. Uh, it's so interesting. See, I never thought about it, how it trickles down like that, but I definitely see it where, so let's say a starter goes down. Right. So if I work in the basketball setting, a lot of the basketball guys I work with, maybe they're starters, but they're probably more rotation guys. So they're the guy when the big, the big guy goes down. Now you got to step in. Right. So that's when you see that spike in training load. And that's where you really figure out, hey, did I do my job yeah. to keep them prepared? Right. It's funny you say that because I always felt like if our practice squad, you know, practice squad guys can float. They can be be active or non-active. And I always felt if our practice squad guys can come in and step in and play and 
have no skips. I was like, we did our job in the preparation of that player. Uh, Absolutely. To to come in and, and take team reps and take special teams reps in game time when they, they hadn't seen anything but practice for eight weeks. I always, yep. I always felt that was a good like litmus test of were we preparing these guys properly in that time? No, I love that. Something else I'm just, I, I love putting myself in your guys' shoes, right? So if you worked in the NBA, you're responsible for like 15 athletes, right? Maybe at uh, the MLS level, if you have two teams, it's a different story. But let's just say first team, maybe 23 athletes. Mm-hmm. You guys have 60 athletes, right? With practice squad. Yeah, you have- how do you manage how do you manage that many people? Right. Like I'm just trying to imagine going through a meeting and like, how do you distill all that down and figure out, OK, these are like the main things I need to be worried about? Yeah. So you have, you know, from the time you get through, you know, probably second week of phase two um, and going into phase three, you're going to have a 90 man roster based on yeah, draft, true, true, based on yeah. the draft and then the free agent signing. So you'll have a 90-man roster all the way through to, to the end of preseason almost. Man. And then once you you whittle it down to your 53 starters, you know, you have 50 here, – here's the catch-22 though, Mike. You have your 53 starters and then you have maybe your 16 additional practice squad guys. So every team's walking around with about 70 guys on their roster. Okay. Wow. Now, if you start having guys who who get injured and maybe they get put on IR, well, now they're still part of the total. They're not on the roster, but now they're part of they're part of your daily preparation and, and work. Yeah. So now you know you might have closer to 75, 76 guys. So one, and now you have a lot more individual planning and programming at that yeah. point. But um, and then on game day, you can only dress forty six. Right. So you have 53, you can only dress 46. So you have to make some incredible decisions of your personnel in your personnel department of who's going to be up and who's going to be sat. And, hey, this guy's active, but he's not dressing, you know. So there's some really hard decisions that really kind of you have to make as you get to the end of the week. So yeah. your planning and preparation in season, Mike, you know, I, I would say this. You need to have a, a large staff. You need to have a lot of hands on deck. Um, you know, I, I, my coaches were great. It was myself and three other coaches. And in most of our lifts, like if we have our post-game lift on a Monday or Tuesday, depending on the day off, um, we're going to see one side of the ball, and we'll see like 32 to 35 guys um, in that lift. And then the next lift, we'll see 32, 35. Well, you know yourself, you have four guys. And, oh, by the way, you're still trying to get some sort of intake. You know, right. Your jump metrics, whether it's some sort of screen that you're trying to do post-game. Um, you know, you what would really help – teams is more recent not not more equipment not more nord boards but more bodies to help you know yeah more like eyes on the athletes and a little bit the capability of more individualization so the teams yeah. who, I, who i see are doing it really right they have these big staffs right now and, and you need that because guess what I, I already said the number one commodity is time and by the way you're not getting any more of it so if right. i get more time Give me more bodies. I need more yeah. on deck, and that's how you solve the riddle of that's how you solve the riddle of time. Is I need more people. I need more snipers doing their job. Yeah, Maybe two to three guys in sports science. You guys test during our lifts. Let me and my coaches watch the lift. Like right. that, that's how the teams that are, I think are doing it right are doing it now. Yeah, that's so interesting because I see it. At, I, I feel like I'm seeing that across sports, right? NFL, MOS, NBA, the teams that are really like dialing things in, Yeah, they do have a bigger staff. And it's not bigger just to be bigger. Yeah, It's bigger to be more individualized and more catered to the individual athletes. I think that's a perfect way to look at it because that is the answer. It's like to have more of those snipers on deck. You know, I think there's, you know, there's a really big play right now. I think that you could get into with a return to play specialist and teams. Yeah. Hey, don't, the strength coach doesn't need to worry about that. Let's bring in these specialists who might be a movement biomechanics guy on on getting some of their KPIs back uh, post right. just on locomotion. And yeah, if, you know maybe it's a different guy now who takes him into the weight room to do that as well. Yeah, don't, you know, don't 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 run everybody too thin. Yes. Well, yeah, because it yeah, like you were alluding to, just because you have all those skill sets. Yeah. Doesn't mean everybody you bring on staff is going to have all those. Correct. Right. Correct. Took a little time to to generate all those skill sets, I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a few reps. Okay. 
here's what I'm really interested in. And this could probably be a whole show, but what did you learn during your five-year tenure in the NFL? What'd you learn? I learned, I learned so much as you can hear as we're talking, you know, when I went into the NFL, I didn't know anything about catapult. I didn't know anything about GPS. I didn't understand any, I didn't know any of that. Right. Um, so, and that's just one example of the things I didn't know. I, I learned a tremendous amount. I think I learned, um, I, I learned to understand my lane. Yeah. I, I understood, learn how to be really good at my lane. Um, I, I would say, um, communication, my communication was pretty good as well. My communication has always been good, but I think it got better there because everything is held accountable. Everything. And so I think my communication got really good. Mike, I I think the list goes on of what I learned, whether it was from different coaches that I had hired over the years that said, Oh, here's what we used to do here. And we implemented it. Like I was never closed off to what I felt my system was or what we were doing. And to be quite honest with you, I learned too in the NFL is like, and, and I knew this going in, but I wanted to hire people that were not like me. I wanted yeah. to hire people that could see my biases and help be stronger in other areas. And so those were some of the things is trying to avoid confirmation bias or bias on how you do this one thing or how you've done this one thing and bring in people too that, uh, you know, I had coaches during my time as well, Mike that played the game at a high level, at a professional level. So some of the best moments I had coaching, I would go up to these coaches and say, hey, we're two weeks into training camp right now. Tell me how you're feeling mentally and physically as a player. Right. You know, I need to know from your perspective. And so what I would do is I would try to, I try to learn from my guys who actually played the game because you and I might have this idealistic version of what we want to get done in our room today. You know what? Might not be a bad idea to throw the guys a bone and make it a regen day. Boom. Say no right. more. Say no more. And so I think I learned a lot about being able to uh, not be married to my thing or my script. And I really tried to listen to the tone of coaches or guys who had played there at a high level. I wanted to really be open in, uh, open eared to that. And, yeah. you know, it goes back to how I learned in my first year. My first year, I wanted to absorb myself in everything in the NFL. So I went to all the rookie things. I went to, you know, when the rookies had a, they had a, a Mother's Day brunch for their, their, the players and their moms that came in town. I went to that. I yep. wanted to make sure I immersed myself in everything I possibly could in that first year, just so I could better understand uh, all the demands and the, uh, just the, the whole cycle of the year. So, um, the list goes on of what I learned, Mike. It, it was right. tremendous. The other thing well, I'll, I'll say I learned is too is the the ability, the repeatability of the athletes was out of it blew my mind. Um, you probably saw it in the soccer world, like these the amount of high speed running these guys could do. Oh yeah, back to back days, absolutely blew my mind. You'd see guys walking out to practice and they are dragging, they are hurting, and then next thing you know. 30 minutes into practice, these dudes are going again. They're flying. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, the, the adaptability and or the repeatability were things that just blew my mind. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just know, you know, a professional athlete when you see one. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. the longer I do this. And I mean, if you came into our gym on any given day, we could have, you know, a 14 year old little kid that wants to play sports and a 40 year old stay at home mom and an 80 year old retired person. And then, but they all know when the pro athlete comes in and is on the force plates jumping, they're like, oh, what does that guy do? Or what does she do? Right. You know. Yeah. It's funny. And even to slice the onion even closer, um, you know, we'll have a group of our guys who are getting ready for the NFL. And then we'll have our NFL players come in. And, uh-huh. and not necessarily at the same time. But when they walk in, like my interns will be like, they just look different. They just, yeah. the guys who are actually playing versus the guys who are trying to play. They look different. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of truth to that. You, know, <laughs> you get to a pretty good eye and you sit there and go, he will not make it. That guy yeah. will not make it. Maybe a good college player, but he's not going to make it. Right. Yeah. Harsh truth, man. Mm-hmm. One other thing that you said that is really interesting to me is how you tried to round out your staff mm-hmm. and how you didn't want like a bunch of little Lauren Landau's running around. I think this is so interesting and it's such a delicate balance because between the show and people that I've met over the years, I've gotten to know a lot of people that have created like these high performance teams. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, such a delicate balance between, okay, 
I don't want a bunch of yes men or women following me around and just agreeing to everything. But then I've also heard too of like staffs where like we wanted this level of conflict and we actually got too much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It like held us back and we didn't get anything done. Yeah. So I think that is really challenging as well. Yeah. I, I would say there's a, it's just like anything, there's a catch 22 to every decision you make. Um, and I was, I was, it was really important to me to not surround myself with too, like you said, too many Lauren Landos. Uh, yep. To me, I had expectations though. Like I had expectations that we coached a certain way. Like, like we coach, we're active. Yep. We're not, we're not passive coaches. We're active. Um, you're, we're constantly queuing, you know, there's, there's certain things that, yes, I want us all to be the same, but when yep. it came from our backgrounds and maybe where our skill sets lied, um, I wanted people to be from a little bit different. And I will say this, that I, 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 the number one thing I found challenging when I, when I went for the diversity of it is sometimes it, 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 what, I would say here's what you get a lot in the NFL. When you get your assistant coaches, you get a lot of plug-and-play assistant coaches. Hey, yep. I was in this guy's system, and I learned how to do this. I was in this guy's system. I learned how to do this. So they got really good just adapting to what you were doing. Where right. I, I did want people, I was like, dude, challenge challenge what I'm putting out here. Just don't just don't accept it because I'm the head, head guy. Like, Don't just accept it. So those are some of the things I think were challenging is the NFL is so incestuous with it's a plug-and-play kind of thing. It's yeah, saying coming to the table saying, "Here's my strong principles," um, and and I also will say too, it's sometimes when you, I dealt with this on one occasion where you're trying to get somebody completely out of your realm. It, you need time for them to buy into your system. Yeah, buy into absolutely. What, what what the holistic message is, and so sometimes that 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 bit me in the butt though too, is I didn't yeah. have enough time for them to actually understand all the, the holistic message I was trying to put together in my system. Cause right. you know, I, I follow a very, very holistic type of thing. Like there's certain times a year that we do this or certain days that I think this is better. And you're trying to look at the big picture, looking at performance as your outcome. Yep. I and, love it, man. And, and some guys you just bring in and they just want to saturate work. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think we've all been around those types of people before. Mm -hmm. Okay. One more kind of big question here. Because I don't know if I'd ask a lot of people this, but again, you're just such an honest and reflective person. And everybody knows, like, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. With that being said, as you look back, if you could start over from scratch, what would you change? What would you improve upon? Well, I know what I'd improve upon based on what I've saw the last couple of years. Number one thing is, like, um, you know, we use the metaphors, uh, you know, give me a problem. I'm going to sharpen the axe for four hours. And yeah, up down the tree. I think yep. that same thing. Like I would, I would make sure that I'm in the position to be able to hire the people that I feel I need to do to do the job right. Mm. So yes. You know, if if you know, if I go back to the NFL, I know I'm sure we'll get to this, but I want to make sure that I have those snipers that I talked about earlier. I see, yep. the, I see the gap in the NFL, and it's 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 very easy to see. It's time. So yes. how do you make up for time? More of the right people. Yep. You you hire the specialists that can do the job that you're not asking a jack of all trades to become and then a master of none. Yep. So I want to make sure I think that's how the quote goes. I don't know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? But I think that's what I would do is is number one. That's the number one thing I learned is I want to put myself in a position where I have all the right people in the right positions. Um, so we so we're watertight. Yeah. Yeah. The way I think about it is you've got like these circles, right? And so you got your strength circle, right? Mm -hmm. And you got your sports science circle and you got your medical circle. And the goal would be to have everybody that's got a big portion of their own circle, mm -hmm. but everybody overlaps a little bit, Correct. right? So like you understand what the medical person's saying. You understand what the sports science person is saying. Like everybody can have these discussions, mm -hmm. but then you still have your thing yeah. that you're uniquely skilled at deploying, Yeah. right? But if you have it where it's like everybody's siloed, like you alluded to before, that doesn't work because then everybody just looks at things through their own lens and they can't have those conversations that really move things forward. Yeah. Yeah. The, the actionable change conversation at the end of the day, you know, to have that one person oversee, which, you know, you have to have somebody that understands the big holistic lens really well. And oh, by the way, how can we take all this information now? communicated over to a coaching staff like they've got yes. your 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 head coach has got to be bought into this model big time right big time right 
And a lot of times, I mean, and not in every case, right? Because you see younger and younger head coaches. But mm -hmm. if somebody's 60, 70 years old, this is not something that they've been brought up with, right? Yeah. And you know what, Mike? Here's another thing that I'd sit there and say I would change or I would do better. I would I would get more creative with the time I did have. Okay? Mm. I would get okay. more creative. And what I mean by that is finding those five-minute windows where I could work on certain things. Hey, if we're going to, you know, stretch starts at, we'll say, 945. Hey, you know what? I'm going to have all the players come out at, at 940, and we're just going to go through a little bit of jump land series. We're going to go through, uh, you know, a little bit of banded activation before we even get into the team warm-up. You know, right. I think what I would do, Mike, is I would find ways that I could take what my skill set is strong at and find ways to just pepper it, microdose it a little bit better than I did. Yeah, I, I think I did OK at it at different times of the year, but I could have been much better at it in season than I was. Right. That's so refreshing to hear, dude. That's why I love talking to you, because, you know, look, we can be confident in what we bring to the table, yeah. but still humble enough to say, look, man, there's so many ways that we can get better and continue to evolve, right? Yeah. I can honestly sit there and say, you know, you know, I think every practitioner goes, ah, I got screwed. I shouldn't have been let go or I shouldn't have been fired. But at the end right. of the day, like, what did you learn from it? You know, could you have gotten better? Could you have been better? Could you have prepared them better? Who knows? But at the end of the day, if you don't take an objective look under the hood at what you were doing and how you could ultimately make it better. Like every, everywhere, everybody, every great coach left meat on the bone. Yeah, absolutely. Left meat on the bone. And how can we better not is the yeah. way I'm looking at things. Yeah. I love that. And just, I mean, I can't even imagine like how much have you grown as a coach just in that five year period, as good as you were, right? Yeah. Where are you at now? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm light years better than I was when I went in. And yeah. even though it was a myopic thing working with just this one group of athlete or this one sport, I am so much better. When I come here, like my, it, it, it's, it, I'm light years better of a coach, no doubt about it. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, well, we spent a lot of time reflecting on the past, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's valuable, right? Like you have to reflect back and think about what you did well, what you'd improve. But at the same time, I'm a big believer in not dwelling yeah. on the past, right? And thinking about what was so. With that being said, I would love to know what's next for Lauren Lando and what are the next steps and goals that you want to accomplish in your career? Yeah, I would say like like right now, kind of as I mentioned earlier, resetting that North Star for my facility, giving back to all my coaches that, that didn't have me around for five years, um, spending time with coaches who, who had never met me over here or really spent any time, and just kind of reestablishing what I feel the standard is of what we do uh, in this facility. Uh, simultaneously, though, um, you know, I identified certain things I wanted to get better at and part of it, you know, I, I went and, and I, I, in my, when I, when I was done at Denver, I came up with three people I wanted to go talk to. Number one was Tim Gavin. So I okay. invested in his course and I wanted to listen to his acute chronic ratios and a yeah. lot of his philosophies, uh, stemming around all that. And I wanted to hear it from the guy. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm set up now to take Matt Jordan's course on uh, force plates. Yeah. And, yep. you know, I want to hear from the people who are the best. Absolutely. What they do. And, you know, the, the other person who's still on my list is Keith Barr. I wanna, oh, yeah. I want to get some time with him and I want to pick his brain because ultimately I want to I want to fill in these gaps that I think teams have and that I feel ultimately that we have. Um, yes. The other one is Francis Hallway. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. he's the gentleman who's getting a lot of um, a lot of attention right now on all the circumference measuring and what are the appropriate ratios of uh, muscle mass to muscle mass to skeleton ratios. OK, and, you know, and, and I would say, you know, what we inherently do in our field and in the NFL is we set these arbitrary body weights. Yes. Uh, you know, we set these arbitrary body weights. Is there a better way? And so that's what I want to do. I want to try to solve this riddle. Um, that has me up at night of the NFL. The NFL is a major, major riddle or puzzle. And I want to see, you know, can I add in some of these pieces and these steps to try to help solve those riddles? Yep. Um, I'm still out, you know, I'm, I'm consulting. I just got back from consulting from a, a major college program for their uh, football staff, their Olympic staff, and then their medical, uh, the athletic trainers and physical therapists. And then uh, the other, other bucket I really wanted to fill was, I want to go spend time with another NFL team during the offseason program and just see how they did things. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And so yeah, I did that earlier as well. So, 
you know, I have some key objectives that I'm trying to do, you know, with my facility, but also personally, um, you know, in February when those jobs come open, uh, you know, I want to make sure that I, I can put together a staff that has all the snipers in place and uh, make things a little bit more uh, watertight. Yeah, dude, that is awesome. I just love like, I love talking to people where again, 20 years in, you could just be like, I'm good. You know, I'm good. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I can do this for another 20 years. Right. And the fact that you've identified, no, these are three areas, three people I want, or four, four people I want to seek out, learn more from You're actionably like working on these items. Like that's just really cool to me, man. Respect. I appreciate it, brother. Uh, you know what? It's funny you say that the 20 years, this is actually 29th year in the field. Oh my gosh. Oh, dude, See? I'm old, dude. Yeah. <laughs> 29th year in the field. And so for me, I, you know, I, I paid attention. I remember having Jimmy Radcliffe out at uh, a conference maybe eight years ago for play at my facility. And I saw Jimmy in the front row taking notes. Yeah. And, you know, to me, like, those are the things like if you're not a lifelong learner in this field, like it's going to pass you up quickly because it changes yeah. often. And yeah. many times the changes do bring us back around as well. The pendulum does swing back the other way. But if you're not a lifelong learner in this field, like you're going to get left in the dust real quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, dude. Last but not least, you got time for a lightning round? Let's go. Let's go. Four questions. Okay. Number one. Well, I said I wasn't going to say specifics. If you don't want to answer this, you don't have to. But number oh, one. Oh, no, the go for it. Freakiest athlete you got to work with was? Hands down, Von Miller. Okay. Hands yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he's a savage, dude. His bend, his twitchiness, his strength, his so many things about him. Like, I'd say Von Miller and Christian McCaffrey are pretty similar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, C-Mac's pretty legit too, mm -hmm. huh? <laughs> but remember when he came out and everybody's like, oh, he can't bench press. He yeah, can't I, bench press, I, right? Dude, I was, <laughs> I was fist pumping that we hit double digits on the bench. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter though. The dude can play football. It's like uh, in the NBA, people were like, "Oh, Kevin Durant, he can't bench 185." Yeah, I feel like Kevin Durant's been an okay basketball player. So I remember when Christian was heading out to the combine, and the the media asked me, they said, "What does he need to do with the combine uh, to solidify um, a first round pick?" And I, my aunt turned to him, I said, <laughs> "Show up, <laughs> right, right, be in attendance, like." You know, right. How you think he's anything but a first round pick is crazy yeah. to me. But yeah, we, we, sometimes they looked at the wrong uh, wrong lenses. Yes. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Number two, favorite NFL city to visit? Who historically, like uh, uh, Green Bay was really cool to go there and just to see the crowd base and the, the history of Green yeah. Bay. I'd have to say Green Bay was pretty cool. Yeah. That would be cool. Uh, number three, what's. This is going to sound bad. What's the best part about being out of the NFL, even just for a short period? I can sleep through the night. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I get more than two hours of sleep a night. Yeah. You've like de-aged probably over the last couple months, yeah, right? Yeah. My, my daughter said, your bags don't look as bad anymore. I said, thank you. <laughs> you got to love kids. Oh, they're all They will tell you what they're thinking. Yeah. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Lauren Lando? Boom. I'm going to keep filling in gaps that I, I feel I have. I'm going to get better as a coach. I'm going to continue to tell my players I love them every day and uh, spend a little bit more time with my family this year, being out of the game and seeing my yeah. mom a little bit more often, those little things. That's what's next. But uh, my eye is always on the prize. I love it, dude. I love it. Well, Lauren, it's been amazing, man. Love catching up with you. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? You know what? Uh, at Lando Performance, we're on Instagram. Also, me personally, I'm on uh, at Lauren Lando. Um, you can always check out uh, www.landoperformance.com. And uh, that's about our main modes of activity. All right. I'll make sure I get all those links in the show notes. If you're not following Lauren, go do that now. He's an OG. He is one of my favorite people to talk to. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on, brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, my man. Thank you for having me on, man. It's always an honor. All right, my friend. That does it for this week's episode with Lauren Lando. Really hope you enjoyed it. Man, I love talking with him. He is not only an incredibly sharp guy, he's seen success at basically every level he's been at, 
but also the humility to say, hey, look, I made mistakes. There's areas I want to continue to get better. He wants to continue to grow and evolve. So, so much respect for him. And, you know, regardless of where you're at, if you never want to work in the NFL or pro sports, that's great. Hopefully you have a respect for what these guys do. But if you do want to get into the professional sports game, I hope you have like a really clear understanding that this game is incredibly hard, right? It is a grind. And you may love it. You may love showing up to work every day, but it can be a grind and you have to put in a lot of hours to get to where you want to go. So with that being said, if you enjoyed today's episode, please do me one of two small favors. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, go and do that right now. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon store, or even on YouTube podcast, my friend, we are out here. So wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. Number two, if you're already subscribed, thank you, appreciate it. Go one step further, go to wherever you consume podcasts and give me a rating, give me a review. Let the world know that I am doing my best to create great content, to find great coaches, great practitioners, and ultimately to help level up our entire industry. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.